0: We decided to call it the Hilltop of Hope because this um, little first little sewing center was at the top of a hill and it was the only hill in this little area of the Mumbai Red Light District and it overlooked all the rooftops of just thousands of brothels and it just made you really think about this hilltop was just really the only hilltop of hope they had in that whole area.
1: Hilltop of Hope is a social enterprise created by Sugar Creek to rescue women and children from the second largest red light district in the world and give them a restored identity in Christ. They're given a new way of living, a new way of loving, and are equipped with the skills to make the Hilltop of Hope handbags, which we then sell in the US. 100% of the profits go back into the ministry to rescue and restore women from the red light district.
0: Last month the whole Mumbai ministry had a challenge to each Mumbai Christian that said for 30 minutes, uh, for 30 days, I want you to share the gospel. So in the Red Light District they did that and they shared the gospel 2,000 times in the Red Light District to other prostitutes and about 500 of them accepted Christ. Is Jesus worth it? Yes, he's worth just sacrificing whatever you have to to share Jesus with these people that have lived 2,000 years without Jesus. They know nothing, and so you're going to get to go tell them about who Jesus is and what he did for them. So is Jesus worth that? Yeah.
1: Hasn't our worship time this morning been spectacular? It has been so much fun, hasn't it, to sing the songs? And the Ridgepoint High School students, aren't they amazing? We're deeply grateful for them. We just saw another video about our uh, missions uh, ministry and the special missions offering, missions month offering that we're taking in the month, month of December. Uh, we have as a goal in Missions Month offering $760,000, and I want you to know to date we have now collected $460,000. We are $300,000 away, and we're going to make this this goal. We're going to make this goal. Uh, Friday was payday for our staff, and uh, when uh, our a check went into our bank account. I do what I do every single payday. Every payday, I go online to my checking account, and I authorize a check to be sent to Sugar Creek Baptist Church for my tithe, and I do that every single payday. And many of y'all do exactly the same thing. You go through your bank. And after I had authorized that, to my tithe, to go to Sugar Creek, we uh, we fill out another check, and uh, that check was for Missions Month offering. And it was over and above our tithe. And why do we do that? Because we love this missions ministry. We love the fact that of Hilltop of Hope and that we're reaching people that are in desperate need of the gospel and it's being so successful there in Nepal and Mumbai. We love the whole uh, ministry that we're doing in the country of Nepal, the whole ministry that we are doing in uh, India. We love the what we're doing in Bogotá, Colombia, and in Honduras, and with. Uh, Living Water International Ministry and with Second Mile and with Urban Camp. We love what this church is doing and the list goes on and on. This missions ministry matters and when we give to this missions month offering it makes a difference in the lives of people. There are people that are going to come to faith in Christ because we gave and Kathy and I want to be a part of that and I challenge you to be a part of it as well, our missions month offering. I want to ask you a a a Christ, a, Christ, a Christmas question. Okay? A Christmas question. The the question is this: how many of you have ever re-gifted a gift you got at Christmas? Would you go ahead and confess? Go ahead, go ahead and do it. Just raise your hand. You've re a Christmas gift. Gift. I'm not surprised. You look like a bunch of re-gifters in this room. So here's the second question. How many of you have re-gifted a gift that you got at Christmas and you re-gifted it on the very same Christmas you got the gift? Would you raise your hand? Go ahead. Come on, God sees the truth. Just raise your there we go. How many of you, here's the last question. How many of you have ever re-gifted? a fruitcake. Would you raise your hand? I have regifted a fruitcake. And thankfully, on the same Christmas, I got the (laughs) fruitcake. Thankfully, I did that. Now, whether that person bought that fruitcake on the same Christmas they gave it to me, I don't know. So, I regifted it to my mailman. I didn't get email for 30 days for the next month. Actually, I'm just kidding about that. We began last week a series entitled, And He Shall Be Called, and it comes from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Last week, we looked at the very first of this three-part series. We looked at it at verses 1 to 5 and verse 7 because it's sort of the outline of what happened in that time and what this prophecy about the coming of the Messiah was really all about. But now, today and next Sunday, we're going to dig very deep into, as much as we can in 20 minutes, we're going to dig deep into verse 6 and the names that he gives to us of the coming Messiah. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And he shall be called. That's the series title. And he shall be called. Wonderful Counselor. The Mighty God. The Everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. Now why is it that Isaiah would use so many names for the name of Jesus, for the name of the Messiah. Well, it was a common practice in Old Testament and New Testament. It was common practice to have many names for the King because one name could not express the greatness and the the majesty and the glory of this amazing King. It is Pastor. Ken Langley of Christ Community Church put it this way. He said, the Bible tells us that there is another king, the greatest of all the kings who has come. He claims the right to the throne of our lives. He is Jesus the Christ, the second Adam, the bright and morning star, the first and the last, whose hands bring healing, the Son of David, the Son of God, the Word of God incarnate the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And do I hear an amen about that truth? Now this morning, I want us to look at two of the names that we find in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. The Son of God and Wonderful Counselor. So first, let's look at the Great Son. He shall be called the Great Son of of God. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Now why is it that Isaiah uses the present tense, is, twice, for a Messiah who will not come for 700 more years? I mean, shouldn't he have said will come? The reason that he uses the present tense is, is because what he is saying is not what he is saying. What he is saying is what God is saying. He is simply relaying what God's perspective is of this great one who is to come. And in God's heart, in God's mind, every time is present tense. Because there is no such time as time with God. You see, God from the very beginning sees everything from the beginning to the end all at the same time. Before God even created the universe, He could see you. And every other thing that would happen in the universe, because for God, there is no time. He sees all of it at the same time. So in God's mind, Jesus' coming was already a reality. The phrase, unto you, a child is born talks of the humanity of Jesus. Unto you, a son is given, talks about the divinity of Jesus. To understand Jesus, you got to get both. you got to see the whole picture. Jesus is fully human, and he is fully God. Not half and half, no such thing. He is fully human, he is fully divine. How is it possible? I don't know. But that it is true, I do know. So the first thing I want us to look at is the idea of the humanity of Jesus. For unto us, a child is born. There was no desire of God for Jesus in the first coming of Christ to be on the back of a white stallion and coming from heaven and suddenly appearing on earth. Now, in the second coming, he will do that. And by the way, I'll be right there with him. And if you know Jesus as your Savior, so will you. At the second coming of Christ. But in the first coming, God wanted Jesus to be born just like every other person, fully man. And Luke chapter 2 tells us that he was born in Bethlehem, in a real place, in a real time, of a woman whose name was Mary and a virgin to boot. Jesus, fully human came to feel what we feel and experience what we experience and then lead us to God. Just exactly what Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 is saying when it says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could He die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Jesus came as a human being to feel what we feel. To experience what we experience so that he could bring us into relationship with his Father. I read a story years ago of a man who lived years ago and this man was not a believer. He, in fact, he, did not, he had not accepted Christ as a Savior because he rejected the whole idea of the incarnation of Christ. The incarnation of Christ means that he came as a human being. God took on human flesh. And he rejected that whole idea. He said, I reject it because I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. Why in the world would God want to take on human flesh? What would be the value of such a thing? and he said i don't believe it's true. Well, Christmas Eve had come and his wife who was a deeply devoted follower of Christ took what was going to take uh, her and her children to the Christmas Eve evening service at their country church and she said to him i really would love it if you would come and he said you know what i don't mean any disrespect toward you at all for believing what you believe but i feel like I would be a hypocrite if I went because I don't believe in the the incarnation of Christ. So, no, I'm not going to go. And so, she took the kids and off she went to that Christmas Eve service. And he stayed at home. And he was there in the living room. The lights were on. The fireplace was going, reading the newspaper. And all of a sudden, he started hearing this thumping sound on the glass, the window pane of that picture window in the living room. And he he. Thought it sounds like there's people throwing snowballs on my window. And he opened up the blinds, and it were it was birds ramming into, flying into the window pane. They, it was freezing cold outside, and the sun had gone down, and they were just, they were freezing. They just trying to get into some security, some safety, some warmth. And they didn't see the window, they didn't see the glass, and they were flying right in. They saw the, the light on in the house trying to get inside that house. And out of compassion, the guy put on a coat, went out to the barn, opened up the barn doors, turned on the light, and said, well, they'll see the light and they'll go into the barn. But they didn't do it. They just kept pounding into that window. And, and so he got some bird seed and he put bird seed all over there right by the doorway of the barn. They'll see this bird seed. They'll go into the barn. They didn't do it. It kept pounding into that window. He, he was trying, waving his hands, trying to get him to stop, knowing he was scaring them. He didn't want to scare them. He was trying to rescue them. And he had the thought come across his mind, if, if only I could be a bird for just a few minutes and get among them and tell them, I am trying to rescue you. I'm trying to save you. And while he was having the thought, it was like the light came on in his own brain. That's what God had in mind. He couldn't get through to us. He couldn't get us to understand, so He took on a body Himself, came among us to feel what we feel, to experience what we experience, to lead us to the Father. Jesus is fully human, but not just fully human, He is also fully God. Unto us a Son is given. The idea of the Son being given, the way it is expressed, He is the third part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. John chapter 3 verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is exactly what Paul had in mind. We looked at it a few months ago in the book of Galatians when he said in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 When the appropriate time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman. He who is infinite. Became an infant. He who formed the world, drew out its boundaries, took the form of a baby in the womb of a woman. He left the glories of eternity and took on himself the impoverishment of humanity. God, the creator of everything, became a man. The great Son of God. The second is, and he shall be called wonderful counselor." So what does it mean, wonderful counselor? Well it's actually in the Hebrew language a play on words. It actually in the Hebrew literally translates a wonder of a counselor. In the English language when we hear the word counselor we think of a therapist, but in the Hebrew language the word counselor means a strategist. Every king had counselors. Every king had strategists who would help them. How do we go after this next battle that we're about to go into? What is the right strategy that we should use? Or or a counselor, strategist, how should I respond to this situation or that circumstance in the kingdom? Jesus is a wonder of a strategist. It means our wonderful guide. He directs us into God's plans and purposes for our life. Now, I will tell you the truth. I wish, I wish that What would happen on January the 1st, 2020, that Jesus would come to me and say, now let me just tell you, everything is going to take place this year. Now in January on the 15th, this is going to happen. And then in February, and take me all the way through the year. And just when you think you have lost all hope, I am going to swoop down and meet your need on this particular day. And then this is going to happen, and I'm going to respond in this way and take me all through the year. Now, I only want this to happen because I don't know what it would actually be if it did happen, and it's for the best that it doesn't happen. But in hell, God does it, is it? I don't know how many times I have thought to myself, God, why are you taking so much time? Why are you doing it the way you're doing it? Why did you let this happen? Why did you let that take place? Why aren't you rescuing the, in the timing that I think is the right timing? God, what are you doing? I don't understand you. How many times have you said, at least in your mind, and maybe even out loud, God, I don't understand you. But then... What happens when time goes by? He's rescued us and and moments have passed. And we now look back at our lives and we see how it is all laid out. And we're stunned by how perfectly he did it. At just the right time he did it. We look back in time and we see it as though it was like a chessboard, and all the pieces on the chessboard, and he was putting all the pieces in place, and then there it is. And we are amazed by what God had in mind. He is a wonder of a guide. When we truly allow him to do his will among us, we are left in total awe. All we can say is, Wow. How great is our God? What I've noticed about Jesus is that he only shows us one step at a time. And he won't show us the next step until we take that step that he has shown us. And what I've come to understand about him is that he cares more about who we are on the inside than All the things about our outside. He wants us to live by faith because as we live by faith he shows us how great he is in our life. So he gives us one step at a time. No, I will not show you a hundred steps at a time. I won't do it. I'll show you one. Take the step by faith and watch me change you on the inside while I meet your need. One of the disciples in the New Testament was named Nathaniel, and Jesus had not met Nathaniel. Nathaniel had not met Jesus, and supposedly they knew nothing about each other until they had their first meeting. But when they were having that meeting, Jesus began to tell Nathaniel all the things that were in the depths of his heart and all the things that were in the recesses of his mind and began to show. Nathanael who he really was and Nathaniel was stunned and Nathanael said Rabbi you are the son of God you are the king of Israel the woman that we call the woman at the well Jesus appeared met her. He had never seen her before. She had never seen him before. But when they came together and were talking at that well, he began to tell her stuff about her life. How in the world could he possibly know? And she ran and told her friends, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Jesus knows you. He knows everything you've ever done he knows what you're doing right now. He knows what you will do in the future. And though he knows everything about you in your past and everything you're doing now and everything you will do in the future, he still loves you. And that's the amazement of it all, isn't it? He still loves us. Jesus sees you and he guides you and me into His perfect plan that will cause us to experience life in all of its fullness. And this is what Jeremiah chapter 29, 29:11 is saying when it says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. For unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and he will be called a wonder of a counselor in our life.